with them. You know, when I think about speaking each week, you know, what is another, what is another man's voice? What is someone else's opinion? And I think unless we stick to what God says in his word, we're all going to be off track. And it's a great assurance for me to open up the scriptures and know that what we read is true and it's going to be helpful to us. And so today is one of the greatest events in, in all of human history. And of course, we read about it a great deal. And my prayer is that we can make some practical applications that will help us in, in our lives. Have you ever faced something that was absolutely impossible? I'm not just saying it was difficult or hard or improbable, but humanly speaking, you face something impossible. And this is what we find here, that Israel as a nation, two to three million people find themselves in an impossible situation. And the answer even in the book of Exodus, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is always the answer. You say, well, you're reading things into this text. Well, you can see it from the declaration in Exodus 3 where the angel of the Lord, Jehovah, declares, I am the I am, the, the eternal self-existent one. And Jesus and in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, again says, I am. And so this is Christ, Christ providing the answer to the impossible. So our text is Exodus 14 that Chloe read from. And I think that there's a picture when you see the, the impossible situation they find themselves in, the parting of the Red Sea and leaving the bondage of Egypt and being delivered from that into freedom to head to the promised land is a picture of salvation. The, the way, the truth, the life, God providing supernaturally a way of salvation. It's also the way we live. To me, it's, it's, it's by grace through faith. It's not by works that we've done. It's not by good deeds. It's not by the uh, communion or the baptism or or any good deeds that we may do, or how many boxes we send around the world. It's by grace through faith, and it's through Christ alone. So um, as we look at this this morning, we, as we've read, read through it, we'll be looking through uh, Exodus 14, four things to consider as we face our impossibilities. The ways of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the works of the Lord, and finally, the worship of the Lord. So if you're following through, that's kind of where I'm, where I'm heading. First of all, the ways of the Lord. Who can understand the ways of the Lord? Because this situation does not make any sense at all. In Exodus 14, 1 and 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Herath, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Really what the Lord is saying is, I want you, rather than going the normal way 
And we're really, there's a lot of debate from scholars about the exact route to get across the Red Sea from Egypt over to Canaan. But there would have been a way, and the way was probably going south, but he sent them up northeast where they were, they were in a cul-de-sac. It's like a box canyon. He, he sends them up to where they have desert and mountains and sea around them in the most vulnerable position they could possibly be in. And, and you would think this would not make any sense at all. But that's the way the Lord leads often. And I'm sure that you've experienced that in your own life, that as God directs your life, you may come to a place where you don't see any reason, any sense, any good that can come out of this. I'm sure that these people felt that way. You know, as I look back over my life, there are many, many times there have been detours, dead ends, um, going down. It's like the GPS, you know, taking you all the way down that road and there's nothing there. And you think, what was that all about? And it, it can become very, very confusing. What God had given to Israel was a cloud by day to follow and a pillar of fire to follow at night. This is, again, a picture of Christ. You follow, follow me. Jesus said, follow me. Um, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Matthew 4, 19, follow me. Believers in the New Testament called themselves the way. So we would identify ourselves as the way. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, the heart of Man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I, as I look back on my life, a lot of it has been confusing. Uh, why things did happen or didn't happen, or why I find myself in certain situations as I go through these. And you can really start to go into a bad place. And this is the, the response um, this wouldn't be our way. It's not like Frank Sinatra, he, he's saying, I did it my way. I, I really like that song. It's got terrible, a terrible idea about it. I like the tune. <laughs> you know, but <clears throat> when, when I say, you know what, I am going to do it my way, it would not be leading two to three million people into a cul-de-sac ready to get slaughtered by the Egyptians. But here's what... Here's what Happened. In Exodus 14, verse 10, it says, When Pharaoh drew near and the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, they said, and they said to Moses, it is, because, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So this is what, what's happening to them. Fear overtakes them. When we get into a place that we don't understand, it's an impossible situation, fear overtakes us. And what fear does is you start thinking Wrong things. You, you start going to bad places. And that now they're saying, you know what? We would rather go back to Egypt. Well, no, they wouldn't. But they're, they're saying that now. We'd rather return back. 
Remember this, that, that the Lord's thoughts and the Lord's ways are so far above our ways. There's no way we can comprehend all the things that he's doing in my life or your life or in all the people around us. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I shared with you one of my favorite verses in the New Living Translation, Proverbs 20, verse 24. It is the Lord who directs our steps. So why try and understand everything along the way? Uh, we do try to understand it, try to make sense of it. This is not making any sense at all. And you know, we, we don't know everything. As I've shared with you before, but we do know enough. We don't know everything, and you'll never know everything. But you do know enough to take the next step of faith. And that's what God wants you to do. And that's hard to do when you have um, a sea in front of you and um, the Lord says, start walking, take a step. <laughs> You've got to take that step. And he parts the water. He brings the wind. It makes it dry, dry land. The, the sides are stand up like walls. So what is our response? You remember Thomas we call him Doubting Thomas. He says, unless I see, I will not believe. That's the way most of us are. I want to see, and then I'll believe. But Jesus said, if you believe, you will see. That's the difference for us. If you believe, you will see. So God's ways challenge us to do either two things. To follow in faith or to fall back in fear. Either we're going to trust him with something that does not make sense. We do not, we do not see how this is going to work out. But trusting in him and following him or falling back in fear. So the ways of the Lord. You'll never understand them completely. But then we move on to the words of the Lord. Here's what he said. And he said this through Moses. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, for he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. See, what, what God is doing here, it's, it's a real event. This is a real event. But it's also a picture of what he always does. You stand still and be silent, and you trust me, because I'm going to get great glory for my name in this. And I'm going to teach you something about trusting in me when it may not make sense. See, when it all makes sense, it all adds up, it's easy. That's really not faith. Faith is believing in something and trusting in something that we can't see the end, but we are obedient. One of my favorite verses in the scripture is in Joshua chapter 1. And this is, of course, years later when Joshua is another parting of the uh, Jordan River experience. But 
Here's, here's what the Lord says to Joshua as he's leading these people to cross the Jordan River. He says, this book of the law, he's speaking about the words of the Lord. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Then it goes on to say this, have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what he's saying is I want you, when you get into these situations, I want you to meditate on my words. What are his words? His promises, truth. I want you to be thinking truth and then you will act on truth and I will be with you wherever you go. But typically we, we're not thinking truth, we're thinking in fear and you know how when you get fearful and you're afraid you start clutching onto things, trying to control things and it just puts you into this downward spiral and Satan has you. Now he'll never take away the fact that you're a child of God but he can ruin your joy. <laughs> he can take away all kind of peace of mind that you might be able to have. And so the words of the Lord he gives us, and this scripture is so filled with promises that, that speak truth to us. When the Lord, he says, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will make a way. I am the God of the impossible. All of these will prove true. And we call them, again, the promises of God, his word. Nothing is more true, nothing is more relevant, nothing is more sufficient, and nothing is more needful than his words. So his ways are a mystery, but his words are sure. And that's why you hear me constantly challenging you to, to find scriptures that you can anchor your mind to that help you through each day. The promises of God. Promise of his presence, promise of his leading, promise of his ability to, to hear and answer prayer, to do the impossible things. Because in this case, he absolutely does the impossible. So the ways of the Lord, the words of the Lord, and then we come to the amazing action, uh, the works of the Lord. Uh, how do my works compare to God's works? Well, my works are limited. I mean, I can do so much. I mean, there are some people in this world that are pretty spectacular uh, intellectually, pretty spectacular athletically. They can do a lot of things, but every person has their limitations. Everyone does. God has no limitation. Nothing is impossible with God. So of all of our limitations, here are two of them that we have in common. Sin and death. Sin has affected all of us. We feel that every day. And death will overtake us. And there is nothing that man can do uh, in his ability, his science, his ingenuity, uh, with all of his test tubes and all of his computers to change the fact that someday we're going to die. But God can do the impossible. This is where, where this comes in with, with Israel standing at the brink of destruction in Exodus 14, in verse 19, it says, And the angel of God, this is Christ, this is the Lord, the, 
is we called him Jehovah Yahweh, new name. Um, if you're reading in your English Bible, it's always in all caps. So whenever it's all caps, that is, that is Christ, that is Jehovah, that is what we read in the New Testament. The angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. See, this cloud and pillar was leading them. The enemy's coming. He goes back behind them to protect them. To me, it's an amazing thing that he does. It moved from before them to, be, to behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night with, as with one coming near the other all night. So the works of God, what does he do? And there's several, what I would say, supernatural things that take place. Now, there are skeptics and there are people that, and I, I respect the fact that people can say, I, I don't believe all this is true. I don't believe this really happened. Um, this, you know, don't believe in miracles. Um, to me, everything about God is a miracle. Um, all of this is full of miracles, things that are not normal, that could not normally happen is full of miracles. So if you're not going to believe in God or not believe in miracles, you might say, well, this story was exaggerated, that um, they say the Red Sea, this is one of the arguments, it was really the Sea of Reeds, and it was very shallow, about a foot deep, um, or six inches deep. And so they just walked across in six inches of water. So that's no miracle. Um, but my response would be, well, then it was a miracle that the whole Egyptian army was drowned in six inches of water. Um, God is God. He is omnipotent. He is all wise. There is no limit to him. It takes a miracle to cross the sea. It takes a miracle to save your soul. It took a miracle to forgive your sins. It took a miracle for Christ to rise from the dead. It'll take a miracle for you to have eternal life. But not only has God stated these things in Scripture, they have proven to be true over time. So what happened? He moved Israel into position. <laughs> it's like you say, now they're trapped. But in reality, who was trapped? The whole Egyptian army was trapped. You think, no, 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 the whole Egyptian army is in control, they're in power, they're gonna destroy all of Israel. But they're trapped because God is in control of this. So he moves Israel into position. He hardens Pharaoh's heart. Now this is kind of a tough um, thing to process. You know, why God would harden someone's heart. It seems like I thought God wants to save people, and he does. But it, it kind of works like this. If, if God gives you truth and you reject it, he gives you truth and his mercy again and you reject it. And in his mercy, you kind of see those ten, remember the ten plagues? Every time he brought judgment, he provided mercy. And every time God brings truth into our lives to confront us with our sin, he's also offering and providing mercy. But when you reject and reject and reject and reject, your heart gets hard. So you could argue that Pharaoh hardened his own heart by his rejection 
of God. You could argue that God hardened his heart because it was God provoking his goodness and mercy that, that forced that. You could argue that uh, Satan is behind all this, but Satan is kind of, he's a player under here where God is working sovereignly. But this can happen to people. When you hear the truth and reject it, you hear the truth and reject it, you hear the truth and reject it. As it says in Romans 1 and 2, it says, finally God just kind of gives you over to what you want to do. But it's not without an abundance of mercy. God is a merciful, loving God. And as I've shared many times with you, he is not willing, not desiring that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So you think, well, drowning the whole Egyptian army, that's a pretty mean thing to do. How could a loving God, and we hear this a lot, how could a loving God do this? But I can tell you this, that if there's anyone fair in the world, it's God. If there's anyone loving in this world, it's God. And so not only has God given opportunity, sufficient opportunity and sufficient revelation, he has done so repeatedly. And there comes a point when that's it. Their hearts are so hard. And this is what happened. So he parts the Red Sea. He makes it dry ground. He leads across two to three million people. He causes the chariots of the Egyptians to bog down in the mud. So this dry ground turns to mud. And then finally he destroys the entire Egyptian army. What you just think, when you read about this, um, over a million soldiers. Now you say, well, every, and every one of them have a soul, every one of them have a life, but I believe everyone is dealt with justly. Those that are following Christ, following this cloud, their faith is not super strong. Remember, I, I was telling you that you know, being a believer doesn't mean you have a perfect faith. <laughs> because you watch it with them. You know, they're following the cloud. They're you know, they're, so they're, they're following in faith, following this pillar. They're trusting. And all of a sudden, they're in a cul-de-sac and the Egyptians are coming. And their faith <laughs> coming. So I'm like that. You're like that. You don't have to have a perfect faith. You have a perfect God that holds you. But we follow him. And this is why, to me, the entire Christian life is a struggle with that tension. You know, me wanting to make it happen, doing it my way, and following God in his way. But this, this parting of the Red Sea is the picture of what Christ, when he comes physically on the earth, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And only by him will you ever see the Father. So he leads us out of bondage of Egypt into our promised land, into freedom and deliverance. And this is the message that we, we call the good news. Uh, simply stated, illustrated in this way, powerfully. Then, when, then we come to our last consideration, that is the worship of the Lord. Um, you know, we see his ways, we see his words, we see his works, and now worship, worship. Um, Exodus 14, the last couple of verses here, 30 and 31, it says, Thus the Lord saved Israel 
that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. So these works caused their faith to be strengthened. And right when you, this is the end of chapter 14, and I'm not preaching on chapter 15, you can read that later, but chapter 15 is what, you'll see the title of it, The Song of Moses. Moses erupts in a song, a song of praise, a song of thanksgiving to God. And in verse 11 of, of chapter 15, let me just read this one. It says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? So what is worship? And why is worship so important? We think of worship as, well, we gather together for worship. But worship is, a, is an attitude of the heart. It is when every part of our being, every part of my heart, my mind, my will and emotions affirms who God is. I respond by affirming who he is. I'm looking up. And it's the only place to look because all around these Israelites was trouble. Egyptians behind them, the sea in front of them, the deserts on the sides of them. And so they look to him. One quote that I've, I've used before, John MacArthur says, it is all of us in response to all of him. It is all that we are reacting rightly to all that he is. So I've kind of made up my own version of this, a paraphrase, um, but I want to give him credit for the thought that got me to this. True worship is when all that I am responds rightly to all that God is. When everything that I am responds rightly to everything God is, that's worship. And this is what you were created for. When God made you, God created you, he desired relationship. And so... He created us in his image, desired worship, where, where we joy in who he is. We, there are no other gods. There are no other ways. This is why we were created for relationship and intimacy with God. Even in John 4, it says, Christ is saying, the Father is seeking for those who will worship him, acknowledging him as Lord as master, as king, as savior, is all in all, the eternal one, the everlasting God. So what does worship look like? What does it look like? You say, well, it's having church. <laughs> I kind of, I wrote down five words that, that I would say are descriptive of what real worship looks like. One, seeking Seeking him with your whole heart. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you search for me with all your heart. I've had college students tell me often, I don't believe in God. I don't know if I can believe in God. I said, it's all right. Investigate. That's what I tell them. Investigate. See if it's true. Read this book. See if it's true. 
Search for him. And he says this, if you seek me, you will find me. So I don't worry about that. If you have a genuine desire to know the truth and you're having trouble believing that there is a God or that he is good or that he knows what he's doing, seek him. I'm not afraid to say that. And I honestly feel that it's good at some point for every young person to have questions. Um, you know, you can come out of the womb nodding your head your whole life. <laughs> but at some point, you're going to have to wrestle through the veracity of this word. And, and the truth, is there a God? And is this Christ for real? And is salvation for me? So seeking him. That's how worship begins. Secondly, seeing him for who he is. In all his glory, in all his wonder, in all his attributes, seeing him. He is transcendent. He is holy. He is beautiful. He is all-powerful. He is all-wise. He is ever-present. He is eternal. He is self-existent. He is just. He is good, loving, and kind, and he is personal. As the psalmist says, we stand in awe. Be in awe of all that he is, all that he proves to be. That's worship. So seeking, seeing, and number, third, number three, you're going to like this one, submitting. Now, we all hate that word. I don't care if you're a three-year-old, two-year-old, or 92-year-old. We hate that word. Because <laughs> we don't want to submit to anyone. We want to do what we want to do, don't we? And I, and I know it bugs you when your kids don't submit to do what you want to do, but you're just like them. <laughs> they came, you know, the apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. But submitting, here's what the Lord says. When you follow me, you're in the best place you can be. And no one is good like God is good. So obedience will always bring blessing. Genuine faith, it's like faith is believing and then seeing. It's like stepping, there's water there. <laughs> there's water there. Well, I don't know about this. I'd rather it part first, and then I'll do it. Any of you like that? But he's saying you step out first, believing and seeing. That's the way it works. You trust him, and when you do, he will provide every single thing for you. Obedience is, is really the evidence of a genuine faith. You can't, if you say, well, I believe in God, but you don't obey him, then you don't believe in him. Now, we don't obey him perfectly. <laughs> That's true. But obedience, submitting to his will and trusting him to do what he says he will do. That is a hard thing. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like as a, as a kid. Um, I still remember, and, I, and I, I apologized to her a lot um, before she passed away as my mother. Because as a, fi a five-year-old, I still remember her just sitting down and crying. <laughs> I know you can't imagine that. Because <clears throat> I, I did not, I did not want to do what she said. I want to do what I want to do. I was that way as a teenager. 
And it, it took me a long time. I was 18 years old when I started to realize that I need to be submitting to God and submitting to my parents and obeying my parents as a way of reflecting that. But then I found this, that even though I came to realize that, at my age now, I str still struggle <laughs> with doing what I want to do and not submitting to what God has told me. And, and I think that this, this, this is true, that every word that God gives you and calls you to submit to is for your good. You just have to believe that. Because God is incapable of, of not doing good. He will always do good. So seeing, seeking, seeing, submitting, serving him with your whole life. There is no greater cause than serving Christ. And the way that it fleshes out is serving people and others. You've heard me say this before, you know, institutions, organizations, businesses, and structures, they come and go. People last forever. People last forever. You are here on this earth as representative of Christ for people. Not building whatever you want to build. It'll all fade away. Someday you get to the point you realize there is nothing left. But people last forever. And the way that we serve God is serving others. The way we express our love to God is loving others as he has loved us. And then the last one uh, is singing. Singing his praises. Uh, worship looks like this. It ends with this um, chapter 15 is the song of Moses. So seeking him seeing him, submitting to him, serving him, and serving others, and then singing his praises. Thanksgiving erupts. This is, this is what happens after, you know, they cross the Red Sea. They're free. Their enemies are completely destroyed. And God's leading them. What happened was impossible. That's why people say, I don't know if that really happened. That would be impossible. It wasn't possible. It was a miracle. And I don't know about you, but I don't, you, you, can't, you can't get to heaven without a miracle. And you can't live this life without a bunch of miracles. So when you get to the place of an impossibility, um, you need to remember that. You need the one who can, the only one who can do the impossible. Because at some point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You know, the Egyptians, as they're drowning, are confessing. He is the only God. They know it now. But he's their judge. The others, the, the, the Israelites, confess he is the Lord. He's their savior. That's the decision, the choice that we make. So... Impossible. You have difficult days, you have improbable situations, but you have also impossibilities. And we're reminded that the ways of the Lord are a mystery, but they're always good and right. Okay? God's ways are always a mystery. He may lead you into a box canyon 
And you don't need to be looking down like this, but looking up. It's part of his plan. The words of the Lord, you may not understand all of them, but you understand enough. You know enough to take the next step. The works of the Lord, he alone can do the impossible. You cannot. And then finally, the worship of the Lord is the only right response. So I kind of, my takeaway on this is when, when you face the impossible, which will happen probably a number of times in your life, will you fall back in fear like they wanted to do, or will you follow in faith? Will you fall back in fear, or will you follow in faith? And it begins by putting that foot in the water and following him and trusting him. To me, this is a real historic, historical event. This, this really happened. I mean, I could get into all the details of archaeology and discovering wagon wheels in the middle of the Red Sea, but it happened. But it's a picture of something greater that has happened in Christ parting the way, freeing us of our bondage of sin, and providing for us eternal life. The only way, the only truth, the only life. And you, all you need to do is believe. Just believe. Take that step. Father, thank you for your word and for just such a magnificent picture of you doing what is impossible. And I pray that in the big issues of life, eternal life, we'd understand this, but also in the everyday situations that we find ourselves looking down, being captivated by fear and wanting to go back. Lord, help us to move forward in faith, to follow you, to realize that every situation we're in, you're right there and you've got a plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.